God cares deeply about our attitude, and the truth is that often our attitude could use some adjustment. Even in the best of circumstances, a good attitude does not come naturally, but we can replace complaining with thanksgiving, covetousness with contentment, criticism with love, and adjust our attitudes to honor Him. In this study, Lord, Change My Attitude, based on the Israelites' life in the wilderness, we will learn how our attitudes can keep us in the wilderness or allow us to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. I'm excited that over the next 10 weeks, we're going to be in the book of Numbers. As we look in the book of Numbers, what we will find is that it is the story of the exodus of the children of Israel as they departed the land of Egypt and they were headed to the promised land, that land that God had told them that I will give you, that land that is flowing with milk and honey. But one of the things that's pretty amazing about that journey is that in that journey, God did something that really all the other writers of Scripture began to ask, can God really do that? In the Psalms, they said, can God do that? In the Berkeley book of 1 Corinthians, they said, can God do that? In the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned several times, can God do that? What was that thing? That thing was that God looked at a whole generation of people and said, you will not get the blessing that I have promised, until, the people will not get the blessing that I have promised until an entire generation of you passes away. Now, we've got to see, I think it's very important for us as, as people to look and see what in the world would cause God to look at an entire generation and say, you can't because, and we're going to have to let your children see it. I mean, you think about this. Don't you think that caused some conflict in the camp? I mean, hey, we've got to live out here in the wilderness, Mom, till you kick out. Hey, Dad, we can't go into the promised land until all y'all die. Now, that had to cause a conflict because nobody wanted to live in the wilderness. Everybody wanted to go into the promised land. But who wants to sit there and say, Daddy, will you hurry up and die? Yeah. And there's God. He's doing this and he's bringing this thing about to us. I mean, you think about this journey. It was really only a journey of about three. 100 miles with 2 million people should have taken maybe 6 months but it took them 18 months to get to the promise to the edge of the promised land because they spent about 12 months around Mount Sinai griping and complaining about God you remember some of the things they said hey would you just let us go back to Egypt at least there we had all of this do you remember that they were at there at the Mount Sinai and they began to worship false gods because they thought God had let them down? In fact, we're going to see that they said, surely God has even tricked us and brought us out here only to cause us heartache. In Numbers 13, when they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent out 12 spies, you remember? How many came back and said it's bad? Ten. So that means that two of them came back and said it is good. 
And if we would open our Bibles to that page, we would read it. It says, and the people complained. Some versions say murmur. Murmur is the word onomatopoeia. It's one of those words that when you say it, it sounds like what it is. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Y'all join me. Murmur, 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 murmur. Yeah. Can you imagine two million people needing to put on their big boy pants? It's kind of like the word drip. How many of y'all dripped your pipes last night? Could you hear it? I could. And it just kept going drip, drip. And then it kind of made a puddle. And then it had to go drip and it echoed. And I was like, oh, please warm up. I wanted to be in Puerto Rico. Never goes below 70, right? (laughs) Oh, how amazing. Shorts and flip-flops every day. Yes. The clothes of God's people. Yeah. But I want to tell you something as we this morning have a little bit of a longer introduction because I want to set the stage for the other weeks. Attitudes are very important to God. Attitudes matter to Him. And I want to show you five, the five attitudes that I believe that we will identify and then we'll look at the attitude that displeased God and then we'll look at the New Testament antidote, if you will, the next week to the attitude that is pleasing to God. The first attitude we'll see is an attitude of complaining. And next week we're going to talk about how to te- replace a complaining attitude with a thankful attitude. The following week it will be covetousness and how to replace that with an attitude of commit contentment. There'll be a critical attitude, but then we'll learn how to replace it with an attitude of love. And we'll talk about a doubting attitude and then how to replace that with faith. And a rebellious attitude and how to replace that with submission. God's people. This is something we need to understand. Attitude controls outcome. So much flows out of the attitude. I've often heard it said, attitude determines altitude. The place that you can go to in life. When your attitude is bad and you wake up with just that, you know those days you wake up with the attitude, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, it's just a bad day. Nothing's going to go right today. Usually that's not your most productive day. Your attitude controls your outcome. The Old Testament is not full of sunny walks through grassy meadows. The Old Testament teaches us that God is holy and just and that He is righteous and that He expects from His people certain things. But for us to get into this study, I want us to go back to the book of Genesis. I want us to walk all the way up to this point where they're at the edge of the promised land and what would cause God to say, this generation will not see. If you go back to Genesis 1-1, there were two people. What were their names? Adam and Eve, that's exactly right. Adam and Eve had children. Adam and Eve broke the law of God. When they broke the law of God, law of God, God said to them, you can no longer live in my garden. In fact, once they got kicked out of the garden, things progressed so bad that finally God said, I'm going to destroy this. And he said, I'm going to use a man named... He built a boat. Noah, exactly right. He said, Noah, you build this boat, I'm going to start over. And when the boat had been built and the flood had came and the flood receded and then the, pro- the rainbow was there, God made a promise, I'll never destroy this again. 
And they kept living their lives and things were going pretty good. But then they got more and more and more wicked. And God said, my initial plan was to have the whole world worship me, to have the whole world follow me. But if I can't get the whole world to follow me, then exactly what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose a people to follow me. And the people followed him. And then finally those people rebelled against them. And he used a man named Abraham. And Abraham had kids. And then somebody else had a kid. And ultimately it led us to a man named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And the 12 sons became the nations of Israel. But even they couldn't get along because they sold one of the sons into slavery and threw him in a pit. And then he went into Egypt. And God used Egypt to rescue his people. But then... God said, you know what, I want my people back. And I'm going to go and I'm going to bring them out. And he ra- This is when he raised up the man Moses. And Moses went back and he said, follow me. And the people followed. And they hadn't gotten very far out. And they began to gripe. And they began to complain. And they began to covet. And they began to do all of these attitudes. They doubted God. And then when they get on the edge of that promised land. They send in those spies that we just talked about. Ten of them walked in, came out and said, We can't go in there. The people are big and this and that and we can't overtake it. And two came back and said, I believe that we can do it. Remember, the whole world will not follow him. So he chose a people. Now he's asking this question in Numbers 14. How long will these people despise me? And in Numbers 14, 11, he basically says, come on, Moses, we'll start over. In Numbers 13, 14, Numbers chapter 14, verse 13, he says, we'll start over. But Moses begins to plead and he pleads with God and he begs with God. And it says that, that God said, okay, it's a picture of intercession. But then he says, this group of people will not see the promised land. In fact, it says that they'll die out here in the wilderness. Their carcasses will lay on the ground. That's that wow moment. That moment, is God really going to do this? He says, I'll give the land to your kids. The kids suffered because of the attitude of the parents. So what's the thesis of the study? Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. Those who choose murmuring as their lifestyle will spend their lifetime in the wilderness. You say, that's Old Testament. Would God do that today? Would God allow that kind of thing in my life? Could it be that that people are suffering because of my choice? In number, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 1 there it says that, a lot of things then you get to verse 6 it says these things happen as an example as an example so that we us New Testament people would not be followers I absolutely believe the choices that we make affect the people around us it affects us And it affects our relationship with God. So is it important for us to look at attitudes? Is it important for us to look at this story of the Exodus and see what we can learn from it, from the things that we can bring out of it? I do believe it is. 
So what is wilderness attitude number one? Wilderness attitude number one is the attitude of complaining. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. We're only going to focus on three verses today. But Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, it's on the screen behind me. It says, now when the people complained. Now you need to understand some of the verses, some of the translations say, when the people complained about their situation, about their lot in life. In the New King James Version, it's an understood that they're complaining and they're complaining about their lot. They're complaining, why are we in this wilderness? Why are all these things happening to us? It says, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it. And his anger was aroused, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Taberah, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. So we're looking at the attitude of complaining. And there are things that we draw out when we begin to look at that attitude that help us to understand how God feels about us being a people who complain. The first thing is we would see is that complaining is a sin. The New American Standard, I love the way it words it. It says, they became like those who complain. It says, Now, when the people complain, we need to understand we choose our attitudes. We choose them. We decide what kind of attitude we're going to have. The 12 spies all walked in and saw the same thing. Ten of them chose to not believe God. Ten of them chose to come back and say, we can't do this. Two of them came back and said, we can do this. Two chose God. Two chose faith. Two wanted to live in the promised land. And the ten chose self and doubt. And the scripture says that they died. So let's define attitude. Attitude is a pattern of thinking developed or formed over a long period of time. We choose our attitudes, and an attitude is a pattern of thinking formed over a long period of time. Action problems can be changed quickly. I won't eat a Twinkie before I go to bed. I can change that almost immediately, but I cannot change the attitude that makes me want to have the Twinkie before I go to bed quickly. Because it's been formed over a long period of time. I'm sitting there and before I go to bed I start thinking I'm bored, I'm hungry. What should I do? I don't know. There's a Twinkie. Why do I want a Twinkie? Because it makes me feel good. If I feel good I'll go to sleep quicker. And tonight I can say no but the attitude that will make me want it is there tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Because it's a pattern of thinking. Developed. When did it start? It started with Captain Crunch when I was a kid because I would always lay on the floor and watch my TV show and I would eat the Captain Crunch. Or it started when I would bump my toe or bump my head or whatever you do with your toe, you stump your toe. Um, And my mom would say, You want a snack? 
Well, I learned something, right? If you hurt, you eat a snack, and the snack makes you feel better. So now, anytime I hurt, Ingles, watch out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an attitude. Attitude problems take time. Attitude problems cause us to blame others. What am I talking about? I have a ball. I'm walking around. I'm holding my ball. I'm playing. I don't want to drop the ball because if I drop the ball, I'm standing on the edge and my ball is gone. But all of a sudden, I drop my ball. Now, I've got to respond. I've got, I'm going to respond to this. I've got to choose how I'm going to react. The first thing I'm going to say is, how many young children do we have in here? Not a lot. Y'all forgive me for this word. Stupid ball. Why did you fall out of my hands? Hold my ball back. All right, so that's my first reaction. I can look and I can say, my lot in life is because of this. But you see, it's not just that I cannot just only blame the ball or the situation. I can blame other people. I can blame the fact that I'm standing here. I'm having a conversation. I looked over at Gordon and he scared me and I dropped the ball. Now it's Gordon's fault I dropped the ball. I need my ball back. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you see, I can blame the ball. I can blame somebody else. I could blame me. Wow, you're just a loser. Womp. I don't know which way. Man, I can't do anything right. I can't even walk around and hold a ball in my hand. Oh, the ball is stupid. Oh, no, Gordon's ugly and I made me drop the ball. I can't walk around. Or I could look and say, you know what? Sometimes things in life just happen. They just happen. God, I don't know why you allowed that to happen. I don't know why the ball fell out of my hand. But God, would you show me? God, would you teach me how to respond correctly when things in my life flare up? God, you're good. God, you're perfect. You've told me that you're for me. God, you have told me that you'll never leave me, forsake me. You've told me that if I'm called according to your purpose, that you are causing all things to work together for my good. So, Lord, I just went through a situation, and now I'm asking you, you show me. Because, you see, I'm grown. And I don't know what my mom and dad did back there. I can't specifically tell you. But you reach a point in life that you got to look and say, my choice may not have been good, may not have been fair, but my choice. And God, I'm going to choose today to trust you through this situation. The children of Israel had developed a pattern of thinking and of complaining. And they began to always say, it happened to us because of. And they never thought to think, because we are complainers. The Bible teaches that we choose and each of us will give an account. Let me say, when you stand in front of God, that they're not going to say what mama was. They're going to say, who did you choose to serve today? You see, complaining 
we choose our attitude. But we also see that complaining is a sin. Let's go back to our passage here. Now, when the people complained about their lot in life, it displeased the Lord. Can I tell you a good definition of sin is anything that I do that's displeasing to the Lord? Can I tell you a good attitude of worship, anything that I do that's not displeasing to the Lord? It says that they displeased the Lord with their attitude. What was their attitude? Their attitude was one of complaining. So what is complaining? How do we define it? To express... To express dissatisfaction with a circumstance and about which I am not doing anything to correct it. So, express dissatisfaction with a circumstance. And I'm not doing anything myself to correct it. So, would it be wrong to voice a word against abortion? No. Would it be wrong to voice a word against racism? No. But, would it be wrong to voice a word against those things, complain about those things, and not be willing to join the journey of making them better? Yes. So, God... I don't like abortion. So, Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name, Lord, would you change the heart of our land so that young babies are not murdered in the womb? God, how can I be used? I will support pregnancy care centers. I will vote accordingly. I will do this. I will do that. God, you show me what to do. Racism. I can sit and complain about it, or I can voice an opinion on it, but if I don't join and become a part of the solution, I want to get involved. How do I get involved? I do life with people. I stand up against wrong actions. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is something verbal people have to be careful about. Verbal people like to talk. They want to say something. Now, I would say that if you walked around this room and you found a contrast in personalities, I would say that Bobby and I are a contrast in personalities. I talk all the time, and my friend Bobby only talks when he has something to say. So you better listen. Because when he, he's done thought about it when he talks. I am verbal. He is nonverbal. You would say, well, you're more likely to be a complainer than Bobby is. Not necessarily. Verbal people just get caught more. Nonverbal people can have a facial expression. Nonverbal people can have an action or a response or a, what's that emoji that rolls his eyes? He goes, like that. You know. Just because you're not voicing it does not mean, and you say, well, help me with that. It says that man looks on the outside. Oh, Bobby didn't say anything. But no, it says God looks at the heart. And so, Lord, would you help us 
with our attitude. We recognize that we choose it. God, we recognize that when we complain that it is a sin. But we also need to hear this too. Go back. It says that God hears our complaints. Now, when the people complained about their situation, about their lot in life, that was an attitude. It was an attitude of complaining. It says that when they complained, that it displeased the Lord. That made it a sin. And then it said, for the Lord heard it. Oh, don't you wish that like God would give you like, like this little room where he can't be? Like you could go in there and you could say what you wanted to say. Think what you wanted to think. Do what you wanted to do and God couldn't get in there. Well, here's the truth. God who is all present, omnipresent, is everywhere. So when I choose my attitude, I better choose it carefully because the scripture says that God's going to see it. If it's an attitude that's not pleasing to him, then it is a sin. And then when God hears me, then he knows me. He knows my heart. In the hearing of the Lord. Let me give you some places to jot down. You can go read them later. I don't have time this morning. But Exodus 14, 10 through 15. Examples of complaints. Exodus 15, 20 through, 22 through 24. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Numbers 11, 1. It says that when God heard them complaining, it displeased him. And his anger was aroused, or his, the anger of the Lord burned against them. Lord, I need a new attitude. Lord, help me. It is easy in the middle of blessing to complain about one thing that happens. I think I told you about a situation that happened that God really got my attention. But I think it is worth and bears repeating again. It was right after we had to close the school and different things were happening and bills were piling up and all these things were going on and we were being blessed because we were adding people and I was lamenting what used to be. And God said, quit thinking about what was and embrace and love what is. In the middle of great blessing, I was complaining. I was letting what was being lost overrule or override what was happening and so in the middle of your life begin to say Lord help me to seek out the blessings God show me the good things God help my attention to focus on all the stuff that's around me yesterday Miss Phyllis your heat quit working and that would have been a great moment to complain in fact you told me that you had spent some time complaining like God why now it's cold and you sent a text that said don't think I can come to church tomorrow because I can't get this house warm. And in the middle of that, I said, hold on, let me make a phone call. And then Chad came over and he fixed your heat. And what was a lonely day of complaining, of feeling 
disappointed. Turn to a blessing of friends getting to sit around and hang out and even share hugs. You see, a lot of times Satan will trick us. He'll trick us to think, man, what's happening in your life right now stinks. It's bad. It's not good. What in the world? Why? And then we want to go, yeah, God, what he said. And it may turn out to be one of the coolest things. Because I think this is what you told me. You said, not only did it save me money, not only did it get my house warm, but also I got to be with friends. And you got to see me slip and slide up and down your ramp because it had ice on it. That was not pretty, was it? Mm. So God, help me to see what's going on through your eyes. You see, because if you follow that journey, they were walking through the wilderness towards the promised land. And all of a sudden, they got thirsty and they began to complain that they didn't have anything to drink. And God responded by letting water come out of the rock, right? And then it said that we're hungry, we don't have anything to eat, and God had caused, what, manna to fall from heaven? And there was enough for every day except on the day before the Sabbath, and there was enough for two days? And then they wanted meat, and, and God caused the, the quail to fly around the camp. They could not see all the things that God had blessed them with. But yet God is holy and God is just. And God says that I discipline those that I love. Hebrews 12, 6 says the Lord chastens those whom he loves. So what we have to understand about God's love, it's a, it's a perfecting love, not a pampering love. And a perfecting love tells me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. I remember one day Gail was having a conversation with one of our children. I don't remember all the details, but I, I remember basically the moment. And it was something that had happened. And the, res, the perfecting love was saying, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. And finally there was a, won't you just let me complain? Won't you just let me tell you what's going on? And yes, those moments are there. And yes, God listens. God says that I hear, I covet, I desire the conversation of my children. But His perfecting love takes us through moments where we have to trust Him. His perfecting love takes us through situations where we have to look to Him and see His eyes and His perspective to understand We're sharing the gospel with a young man recently who if anybody ever got dealt a raw deal, I think this young man got dealt a raw deal. While he was still a teenager, both of his parents were sentenced to prison. And then because he was alone and situations going around he made choices and his choices caused him to have to go to prison and then he got out and because of his choices he lost a lot of things but Friday he looked and he said you know what 
I'm tired of those things ruling me. What I want to do today is I want to give my heart to Christ. But walking through those moments, he came to a place where he realized that God's still greater. Coach Eric, I'm sure you see a lot of young men in your line of work that, that have that. We've got to start looking around. It's Life is not everybody else's fault. God is working in us. God is working through us. God is working for us. God is sufficient. And we either get bitter or we get better. And God says, my people call by my name, humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. You see, that's not just the whole land. That's the heartland. That's the family land. That's the community land. It goes on and it goes on and it goes on. God hates our complaining. Go back to it. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. His anger was aroused Against them. That occurs five times in the Bible. Our anger was aroused. Some lost life. Some lost good life. For us, our life can become a wilderness. When we lose our cheer, we lose our joy. We become depressed, oppressed, unmotivated, critical, angry. We have no direction. But it says that the anger of the Lord was aroused. And then notice it says, so the fire of the Lord burned among them, consumed some of them. God judges our complaining. God is merciful and God is gracious. God, would you forgive me? God, would you cleanse me? Now, now hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Please hear me. It doesn't mean that we just take whatever is dealt to us silently. There are injustices and wrongs that happen, and it is okay to draw boundaries around wrong. It is okay to take a stand against injustice. Complaining is when I... All I do is talk about it and all I do is gripe about it and I don't get involved to make it better. There are times in your life you draw boundaries. There are times in your home you draw boundaries. There are times in your workplace you draw boundaries. There are times in friendships, relationships with people. That young man I was telling you about that I had a conversation with the other day, he recognized that if I don't change my friends, I'm not going to change my behavior. He realized he had to draw a boundary. He realized that, that there were things that were going to have to be different. That if he was going to have a new outcome, he had to have a new choice. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to draw, that you take whatever. I'm saying that when we get in these situations of life, we don't just sit and gripe and fuss at God and fuss at people. But we begin to proactively look for ways to be a part of the solution. Because our attitudes, we choose them. Our attitudes, when it's an attitude of complaining, it's a sin. God hears our complaints. God hates our complaining. And God judges our complaining. 
So what are the questions that we need to ask? Am I a complainer? Am I reaping the consequences of my complaining in my relationship with God? What verbal or nonverbal expressions do you make about situations that you're doing nothing about? Your finances. Are you griping and complaining about your finances and the lack of funds and not changing the way that you spend the funds that you have? Are you griping and complaining about money being short and God's looking at you and saying, Have you honored me with a tithe? Hear me, guys. God's word is true or God's word is not true. If God says to honor me with the tithe, to bring it into the storehouse, and we don't do it, and then we gripe and complain to God about the fact that we don't have it, man, it's an issue of trust. Do I trust God if I'm, if I'm continuing to complain about the payments I have to make and I'm swiping my credit card? Every chance I get. Can you hear me? I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking with you. I'm having conversation. I'm saying that anything I'm bringing up is something that I understand. I mean, there have been seasons of life and the things go on. My job, my spouse, my pastor, my church, my children. And then the question, am I willing to repent? Am I a complainer? And I'm reaping the, am I reaping the consequences of my complaining in my relationship with God? Am I willing to repent? And I think one thing that theologians agree on is the definition of the word repent. It means to be walking in one direction. And through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realize that the direction that I am walking is not the direction that's pleasing to God. God heard their complaints and it was displeasing to Him. I recognize that the direction I'm walking is not pleasing to God. I am now willing to turn, do an about face, 180 degrees. I'm willing to turn and walk the other way and say, God, I will walk towards you. I have been deceived. I have been rebellious. I have been intentional. Whichever situation you may be in. But God, for whatever reason, you have now brought it to my attention that the direction I was going is not the direction you want me to go. You are displeased by that. And it is a sin against you. And now, God, I am choosing to turn and walk towards you. That's repentance. Repentance is not the popular words we hear from celebrities now that say, if I offended anyone, I'm sorry. That is not repentance. That is called covering your britches. That's what it's called. It's let me just say enough to get past it because we all have a short memory and maybe they won't remember it tomorrow. Well, God does not forget <laughs> Until we repent. And once we repent, it says that He separates as far as the east is from the west. But when we repent, He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And repentance is, God, I've been doing it my way. God, I want to do it your way. 
Sanctification is, God, I've been doing it my way. I want to do it your way. God, continually remove me from the choice that was displeasing to you. I failed yesterday. God, forgive me. But God, would you let me go? If all I went was 30 minutes yesterday, God, if you can't heal me directly, Lord, will you remove me from it for six hours? God, will you remove me from it for 12 hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, a week, a month, a year, years? God, take me away from that place that I was because what I want to be is yours. The children of Israel were living in great blessing. God had removed them from captivity. God was sending them to a promised land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. God had a plan, but for them to get there, they had to be perfected. They had to be disciplined. They had to be chastised. They had to be conformed to Him. And He wanted to show them that no matter what they faced, that they could trust Him, but they couldn't trust Him and follow Him long enough. And ultimately, their complaining cost them And the generation after. Lord, give me a new attitude. Lord, give me the gift of repentance. God, give me the gift of faith. Because I don't want to sit on the edge of the promised land anymore. I want to eat some of those big old grapes. I want to wipe out some of those sons of Anak. Is what it says. Lord, I want to see the victory that comes from you. And let me tell you. If you can't change my attitude. God won't change my attitude until I give it to him. So will you trust him today? Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more, to listen to messages and teaching from Pastor Chris, to contribute through online giving, please visit our website at www.mzbc.org. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.